Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello, welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Today we'll be studying chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. So grab your Bible and let's jump right in and get started. Now as usual, I'm using the New International Version of the Bible. So follow along with me. I'm reading verses 1 and 2 now. Therefore, if you have any, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Paul here is urging unity in the body of Christ. He says, be joined or be united with Christ. And being joined and united with the rest of the body of Christ changes and equips us. God didn't make us to be Lone Ranger Christians. Uh, those who think that they can be aloof from the body of Christ are making a grave mistake. God created the body of Christ for all of all of Christendom, all Christians to, to be a part of. We should be part of a local church. We should be active in our local church. We should be contributing members of the local church because uh, God designed it that we can, we should put into the local church, into the body, and we should take out of it. So God designed the local church as a place to unite us so that we can carry forth the uh, kingdom business and kingdom work. We receive comfort. We receive God's comfort through uh, interacting with other Christians, fellowshipping with other Christians, and working together with other Christians. We receive his tenderness and compassion, but we have to cultivate these things in our lives. We have to do those things that are conducive to uh, cultivating God's compassion and his peace and his strength in our lives. And, and uh, those of you who know me and those who have uh, listened to my teachings know that I'm a big proponent of uh, Bible reading and prayer and church fellowship and meditating on the Word of God, uh, uh, what we would call spiritual disciplines. So um, all of those things, we use them to cultivate ourselves in the things of God. Since we have all these blessings from Christ, the Bible says, Paul urges us to be like-minded, that is, to unify and harmonize with each other in the body of Christ. Paul says, make me happy by being agreeable, loving each other, and working together in unity. So all of these passages that Paul lays out here, all of the, these instructions, the things that he urges the body of Christ to do, requires participation in, in the local church. So I know that there are some who believe that you don't have to be part of, the, of, of a local church to, to be a Christian. Uh, and in situations where you, where a person may be isolated uh, and cannot get with other believers, that's true. But in most cases, um, 
there's a local church that a person can be a part of. So we cannot use that as an excuse. You're out of the will of God if you're not part of a local church because it's where God uh, gives his marching orders. The, the church is, the, is both the hospital and, and the schoolhouse uh, of God. It's where we get taught, where we get uh, built up in the faith. Now, we have to be intentional and deliberate about cultivating uh, these things in our lives, the compassion of God, the love of God, the unity of Christ. We have to work on ourselves so that we can be agreeable with other uh, Christians. Um, we have to compromise, and we can't have our way all the time. There are times when we have to give up our way for the good of the group or the good of other people. We have to restrain ourselves from being harsh and disagreeable, okay? Now I'm reading verses three and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So Paul commands us to unify and harmonize in the body of Christ, and then he gives us the nuts and bolts on how to do that. Uh, we have to learn how to harmonize with other people. We have to put other people's interests above our own interests. That's the way they operate in heaven. People don't uh, concern themselves as much about themselves as they do about other people. So God is teaching us some home training here through Paul. He's teaching us how to harmonize with the people in heaven who are completely unselfish. God is teaching us to, to uh, practice unselfishness, to, to uh, project out from ourselves, to, to focus on other people and their needs more than our own uh, needs and concerns. This is how we work to unify and harmonize with each other as saints. We have to self-check, that is, check ourselves for selfishness. We have to examine our motivation behind everything that, that we do. Um, we have to ask ourselves, is it for show? Paul said, don't do anything out of uh, vain conceit, out of strife, or out of vain conceit. So uh, we have to check and see, uh, are we acted, acting in a way that is conceited or selfish? Or are we, uh, uh, are we acting out of strife, that is, out of disagreement, quarreling, and that sort of thing? So Paul is saying, lay these things aside, and we have to be very deliberate about it. It just doesn't happen to us. A lot of the things that um, God wants us to be and do, he makes us by his spirit. Um, in, in fact, his spirit is involved in everything that we do, uh, but we have to put forth an effort to change. And we use his spirit and his power and his word to do so. Um, don't do things just to impress other people, Paul says. That's vain conceit. Be humble. Practice humility. Don't boast about our own accomplishments. Uh, celebrate other people and their accomplishments. Verse 4 says, value others above yourself. This is not low self-esteem. This is Christian humility when we, when we practice valuing other people and their interests above our own interests. We're fitting, we're harmonizing, we're fitting in with the, with the body of Christ, um, and we are unifying with the body of Christ. 
we often think too, too highly of ourselves anyway. Um, we tend to be selfish in our thinking, self-centered in our, in our thinking. That's a human tendency. That is an effect of, of the fall into sin, the sin that we all inherited from Adam. So we have to go against the grain and begin to practice humility. Romans 12 and 3 says, and this is in the New Living uh, Translation I'm reading, it says, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us, okay? So Romans 12, 13 gives us a measuring stick to measure ourselves by, and that measuring stick is faith. James 2 and 18 says, true faith is demonstrated by deeds or actions. And Galatians 5 and 6 says, faith works by love. Now, verse 4 says to us in our text today, don't just look out for your own interests, <clears throat> but look out for the interests of others. Don't be self-centered. Uh, be others-centered. That's the way it is in heaven. So, so what God is doing is preparing us for a better place to live among perfect people. Those who have already made their, their way to heaven, who have already passed over from this life into heaven, they've already been perfected. They're already perfect. And they've been completely purged of all selfishness. And so uh, they have this selfless attitude um, toward each other. And so everybody is, is working for the interest of everybody else. They are able to harmonize freely because they've defeated selfishness. So when God wants us to practice defeating it here, he wants us to work on ourselves and get rid of our selfishness, harmonize with other people. Symbiosis is an interesting word. Uh, it means a cooperative relationship as between two people or, or groups. One type of a symbiotic relationship is called mutualism. That's when one creature benefits by helping others. And you see that in the, in the animal world, when one uh, animal benefits by helping another animal. An example of uh, a mutualistic symbiotic relationship is the crocodile and the plover bird. Uh, the the uh, crocodile will normally eat anything that he can get his mouth on. But in this uh, strange relationship in the wild, we see a crocodile opens his mouth, the plover bird walks right in and feasts off the, the meat between the, the crocodile's teeth. So the crocodile is benefiting, or the, the alligator, I believe it's a crocodile. He benefits um, by getting his teeth clean. And the plover bird benefits by getting a free meal. Okay, certainly there's a risk, uh, but but somehow in nature, um, these two work together for the mutual benefit of each other. And that's how it is with the people of God or how it should be. That's how it is in heaven. Uh, people work together in the interests of others. And, and as they are working together in the interests of others, um, their own needs are being met. And that's the way uh, Jesus Christ meant it to be. When he says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. That's a symbiotic relationship. You're giving 
not just to receive, but you're giving actually to benefit the kingdom of God and to bless other people. But as you give to other people, as you act in an unselfish way, it comes back to you uh, even more and better than it was when you, when you put it out. Uh, so Jesus said, uh, live a symbiotic life. Live a symbiotic, mutualistic life. Harmonize with each other. And that's what Paul is teaching, uh, teaching us here. Our primary motivation for helping others shouldn't be what we can get, but it should be what we can give, how we can benefit others. And when we get to that place of maturity, we'll have joy in our lives. We'll have peace in our lives like a river. It'll flow. And if you're struggling with depression, begin to serve other people. Begin to do for other people. And as you're pouring out a blessing and, and joy in other people's lives, it's going to come back to you in multiplied measure. Now I'm reading verses 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul is saying, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Jesus knew he was God, but he humbled himself and became a man. He humbled himself from God's size to man's size. He laid aside all of his power, his uh, attributes, and um, his rights as God. He condescended all the way down to manhood. He became a man. He gave up his privileges. Made himself nothing, one translation says. Becoming a man from being God is becoming nothing, believe me. He became a poor man, not just a man, but a poor man, a peasant, like a slave. Jews were slaves to the Romans. Christ became a Jew during Roman occupation of, of Israel. And so, in essence, he was a slave, a poor man among peasants, um, uh, a man who was acquainted with griefs. He, he was acquainted with sorrows and uh, and he expressed his humility by obeying God's command to die. And, and he didn't just die a normal death. He grew to manhood, and he died the terrible death, one of the most terrible deaths that a person could die, a slow and agonizing death on the cross. And he did that uh, to save us. We are, uh, we are following him when we humble ourselves and obey him. Even when it's hard, uh, even when it hurts, uh, when we obey him, we're being more like him. In the face of difficulty and hardship and, and, and even pain, we're being more like Christ when we obey God in the face of those things. Never bragging, never showing off, never flaunting our status or accomplishments, but showing interest in others. Uh, we shouldn't praise ourselves. That's, that's the world's way of doing things. That's the fallen way of doing things. Uh, we should let other people praise us. That's what the Bible teaches. We should celebrate other people's blessings and let others celebrate our blessings. 
Um, we should not be those who go around flaunting uh, our accomplishments and who we, what we've done. We should practice humility. Now, it requires some strength to do that, and it requires some effort to do that, and it requires us to train ourselves from our old way of doing things. But it's the Bible way. It's God's way. It's the kingdom way. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. That's Romans 12, 16 in the New Living Testament. So um, we should not mind high things, the King James says, but we should condescend to people of low estate. We should enjoy the company of people who have less than we have or, or people who have nothing. We should see the value in them. Uh, and we should uh, um, comfort ourselves and, and learn how to enjoy the company of all kinds of people, people on the lowest uh, rung of the socioeconomic ladder and, and those who have means. Don't just try to hobnob with people uh, of, of high standing and high economic means and, and uh, don't just go around name dropping people um, who have a high degree or, or a high place in society. Um, befriend people who have nothing. That's what Jesus did. And when we, when we do that, we're, we're, uh, we're acting like Jesus. We're imitating him. The Bible says the common people heard Jesus gladly. That's Mark 12, 37. They knew he loved them and they knew he loved being around them. And uh, that's what we have to do no matter how much God blesses us in this world. No matter how high God takes us in this world, uh, we want to humble ourselves and we want to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Now I'm reading verses 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled him to the lowest, Jesus humbled himself to the lowest place. So God the Father exalted him to the highest place. If you want to go up, go down. If you, if you want God to exalt you, humble yourself. Let him do the exalting and not you exalting yourself. Jesus' name is above every name because he was willing to condescend all the way down to the lowest place to becoming a human being, a poor human being among slaves, those who were under Roman domination. And so because he humbled himself and obeyed God, every knee will bow in submission to his lordship. Now, he was God the Son anyway, also called the Logos or the Word of God. But he became a man for a time, for 33 years on this earth. And then he went back to heaven and was exalted to the highest place. And every tongue will confess. Every knee is going to bow to him and every tongue is going to confess his lordship. And the, and the father will be glorified by it all. Humility is the path to honor. The Bible tells us that over and over and over again. If you want uh, to uh, get to the place of being honored, practice humility. Now, 1 Peter 5 and 5 and 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace 
to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God or the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So Jesus is our ultimate example of the fact that blessings follow obedience. That's a that's something that I've noticed. It's a principle that I've noticed throughout the scripture, all the way through. And, I, and, and it is my practice to read the Bible through uh, at least two times a year. Um, and as I go through, I, I see this principle repeated over and over from, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation that uh, uh, blessings follow obedience. So uh, when I see it, I just write BFO in my Bible to mark it. Blessings follow obedience. When we obey God, and God is telling us in this case to humble ourselves, the blessings will follow. Now, verses 12 through 13, I'm reading. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. The Philippians were obedient to Paul's teachings. Um, when he was there with them, with them they obeyed him. And then uh, he admonished them by letter to continue their obedience even in his absence. So uh, he had the power to uh, a presence there to, to teach them and, and have them submit to his teaching because he was an anointed apostle. But when he went away, he sent his letters back and his, his letters had the same effect or near the same effect as his presence had. They were willing to follow his instructions from his letters. Our salvation, our growth, and development is a partnership between us and God. We have to remember that. Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he told the Philippians. And by extension, it comes all the way down to us because uh, every word of God is inspired to teach us and, and um, to help us to, to rid ourselves of sin. So Paul is saying here, he says, work out your own salvation. That's our responsibility, to work out our own salvation. And then he lets us know that we're not working alone. He says, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to do, the King James says, of his own good pleasure. That is, God is working in us, giving us the desire to obey him and giving us the power to obey him. So there's a partnership between us and God. We have a responsibility. God has a responsibility. God uh, uh, supplies us with the strength and the desire to do what is right, and we have to use that strength to do what is right, okay? Uh, we have to find out what the will of God is, and we find that out by attending church, I'll say it again, sitting under teachers that God has called to teach and preach, by reading our Bibles, we find out the will of God, by spending time in prayer, God impresses uh, upon us his will. He speaks to us. He uh, speaks to our thoughts, speaks to our hearts. He puts his will in us, his desire in us. He inspires us. And we have to memorize and meditate the word of God. That's important, okay? So our salvation was activated when Christ called and we responded. 
our salvation was activated. And it continues as he gives us the desire to obey and the strength to obey. And we use that strength to execute that desire that God has put in our heart by obeying him. Uh, it's, don't just sit and wait for God to change you. He's giving you the desire to change. He's giving you the strength to change. Feed that, that, that strength by staying in the word, by staying in church. Be faithful. Be faithful to the, to the Sunday morning service and, and be faithful to the Wednesday night Bible study. Whenever your church is having something, uh, make sure you make your way out because it's not just, you're not doing it for this, just for the sake of the church. You're doing it for yourself. You're strengthening yourself. God works and we work. God works in us and we work with the strength of God. Now, we can't repay God for all he has done for us. The debt's too great. But we can respond to his goodness with obedience. We can cooperate with him in changing our lives. We can study his word. We can find out what his will is, and we can walk in that will. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. Now I'm reading verses four, uh, 14 through 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may, you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Grumbling is serious business. Paul says, do everything without grumbling, without murmuring or complaining. Grumbling is a serious sin. Complaining is a serious sin. God takes it personally. The, uh, the Israelites, the Israelis were, were guilty uh, of grumbling and complaining, no matter what God did. He worked all those miracles. He fed them. Um, he took them through the Red Sea. He delivered them from slavery, from the, the, the terrible weight of bondage. And he destroyed their enemies before their eyes. And then he turned around and had to destroy some of them because they were grumbling all the time and murmuring and complaining all the time. 1 Corinthians 10 and 10, and 10 through 11 uh, warns us, and don't grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples to us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So, um, if you're one of the people who are in the habit of grumbling and complaining, uh, then that's the wrong attitude. It's a sinful attitude. You have to work on yourself and get rid of that because it's a serious sin and it's displeasing to God. It says to God, you're not taking care of me. You're not doing your job. And so it's an insult to God. And instead, begin to write down all the blessings all of the good things that have happened in your life. I don't care where we are. There's some good things that are going on in our life that have happened and some things that are happening. And we need to write those down and begin to focus on them and begin to give God thanks. Begin to thank him for the good things that he has done uh, and, and begin to practice that in place of murmuring and complaining. Make a habit of giving thanks in every situation and circumstance because while we're grumbling about the trouble that we see, God is protecting us from a, 
a thousand things that we cannot see. Things that are, uh, he, he protects us from germs. He protects us from car wrecks and accidents. He protects you from tripping and falling down the stairs. He, he's protecting you from uh, deadly diseases. He's pr protecting you from that, that crazy mass murderer. Uh, he's guiding you around trouble without your even being aware of it. He is our shield and our exceeding great reward. So uh, stop grumbling and begin to give thanks in its place. It is because of his mercy, the Bible says, that we are not consumed in Lamentations 3.22. God's mercy shields us, just like there's this shield around the earth that's uh, blocking out harmful radiation and, and blocking out the objects that would, would, would uh, come in and pummel the earth. Uh, we have a shield around the earth. So God has an invisible shield around you, protecting you from the, the, uh, the worst things that could happen to you. Now, a few things get through the shield, but God knows that they're getting through and he knows that you're suffering certain things, certain things we're going to suffer just because we live in a fallen uh, world. But God is protecting you from the very worst things that could happen to you. So uh, let's begin to give him thanks. When we express gratitude, we shine like bright lights in a dark world. We live in a crooked and warped generation, crooked and warped world. So we need to shine brightly among them, and we need to let them see our light. So when we're giving thanks, we're, we're lighting up the world. In verse 16, Paul said, give me something to boast about when Christ comes. Um, so stop grumbling and, and uh, do what you're supposed to do. Verses 17 through 18, I'm reading them now. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul was pouring out his life like a, like a libation, a, a drink offering to God. He had spent himself in service to God in pursuit of the souls of people. But he had no regrets about this, um, had no regrets about the suffering that he had done and, and the way he spent his life. Uh, he was glad to give it away like that. And we should ask ourselves, what is my life being spent on? What am I spending my days, my years, my time, my life on? Are they worthwhile pursuits or, or are they just vanities? We should take time to examine our lives and begin to prioritize uh, doing for God. I don't know about you, but I want to be rich in good works. I want to lay up for myself treasures in heaven where thieves don't break through and steal, where uh, moth and rust don't corrupt. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Um, there's a song that says, of course, only what you do for Christ will last. And and we need to remember that because this life is passing away so, so quickly. The days are, are passing so quickly. You have hardly time to, to get anything done. We are on our way to meet the king. And, and so we want to have something to offer. Now, verses 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. But everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
For you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me, uh, served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Timothy was loyal and devoted to God, to Paul, and to the saints that Paul sent him to minister to. He was a loyal young man. And Paul would send him to check on the churches because Paul could trust Timothy with his life and with the lives of the people. Paul sent him to minister to them and, and bring back a report of their progress. Uh, loyalty, character, devotion, and liability, uh, reliability are, are things that are rare to find. That's why those possessing these qualities get worked a lot. If you're a faithful person, if you're a reliable person, if you're a devoted and trustworthy person, you know, you're going to have more than enough opportunities to do for God. You're going to be called on a lot because these are rare commodities. They're as rare as gold or silver or diamonds in this world where people are self-centered and unreliable and uh, untrustworthy. So you're going to stand out and you're going to be used a lot. And if you're being used a lot in your church, on your job, whatever, if, if people are calling on you to do a lot, know that it could be because you are displaying these kind of uh, qualifications, these kind of characteristics. You're reliable. Uh, they can rely on you. You're trustworthy. You're devoted. That's a good thing to have. It's worth more than money. Paul said, I have no one else like him in verse 20. That means that these qualities are rare. Now I'm reading verses 25 through 27, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphrodites uh, have evidently been sent by the Philippians, the saints, to help Paul uh, while he was incarcerated in Rome. He became deathly ill and almost died, but he recovered. And he was homesick, and Paul was planning to send him back. He, you know, when you get sick, I was uh, away in Arizona not too long ago, and I ended up in the hospital. And uh, when you're away from home and you end up sick, you want to go home. Uh, and so I understand how Epaphroditus felt. He was sick nearly unto death, um, and he began to long for home. And so Paul said he was going to send him back home. Now, verses 28 through 30, Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Paul spoke very highly of Epaphrodites, uh, because he was a man of strong character and a hard worker. Paul said Epaphroditus risked his life serving his needs. We should value and appreciate and honor people who, who demonstrate character and loyalty and, and reliability and faith. All of these things, devotion, 
we should value these people. Such people, again, are rare and they're valuable. They're like diamonds, so we should appreciate them. Well, that brings us to the close of Philippians chapter 2. Next week, we will study chapter 3. So until then, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. 